0: Well, if you weren't with us during our Sunday school hour this morning, we had a unified meeting, and uh, Brother Sam Strickland spoke and reminded us of the fundamentals, of what we're supposed to be doing and reaching the world, and so it is a wonderful privilege to be able to welcome him back up to our pulpit, and I just want to let you folks know that uh, Sam and Virginia are a great encouragement to me and Linda personally. And I know they are a great encouragement uh, to you and uh, to all of us here at our church. Uh, we, we can't do the things that you do, Brother Sam. We can't go to the places that you go to. And frankly, many of us don't want to go to some of those places. <laughs> They're very dangerous. And I'm glad... I'm glad that you got a call to go from the Lord, because you wouldn't go there either if it weren't for Jesus Christ calling you. We're very thankful you're our representative in the Middle East, and we're very thankful that you have constituents and people that you connect us with, people that we don't even know. Some we know, some we've met through you and your ministry as you've shared these things as our partner but we're very thankful that uh, we have a representative such as you in a place like that and we're just very thankful for some of the personal things you've shared with us about your life and ministry this morning and i know that uh, you're going to be a great blessing to us again today so let's give a very very warm welcome to pastor Sam Strickland
1: Well, thank you, and it's always a blessing to be here. And when I go, I have you in my heart, as all of the churches that support us. And I have the people in the Middle East in my heart. And oftentimes I come back and people say, uh, Why do you go there? I never intended to go <laughs> there, but I was asked to go when I was a pastor in 2002 uh to go to Beirut, Lebanon. That was my first experience of being there, and the Lord began to speak to my heart. As time went on, I have a good friend who's from Beirut uh, who came to the United States to attend college. Uh, he got saved as a boy. His parents got saved as well. He grew up in a Christian home, basically, at, at a certain age. Uh, finally came to the United States. He was not going to go back. He majored in business. He was a controller of a small company. Uh, He met his wife. She's from Niagara Falls, New York. Um, She, of course, was a Christian as well. And uh, this was in 1975 to 78, something like that. War was in Lebanon, and all the missionaries had to leave. Many American missionaries had gone there in the 50s, uh, but because of all the conflicts, they had to leave the country. And so the church he got saved in under an American missionary, Um, the church began to dwindle down. They didn't have any leadership, didn't have any pastor. The people there would contact him. He was working in Toronto, Canada, where there's many Lebanese people. And they kept telling him, you need to pray for us. We don't have a missionary. Long story short, he surrendered the ministry himself and became a pastor there and served the Lord. And he began to ask me to come over there. Church started supporting him. About 1983, he contacted us. I met him. We started supporting him, and after a while, he started asking me to come over there, and so I did, and then finally, in 2003, the war broke out in Iraq, and uh, he was uh, approached by some people to go to the the war. just started in March. We were there in June. I was still a pastor, and he asked me to go for some reason, and uh, when I went, we went there, uh, flew to Beirut. uh, Flew on a humanitarian aid plane. There was no flights going in and out of Saddam Hussein Airport. Uh, His name had been ripped off the wall. Uh, We flew on a humanitarian aid plane with an Australian crew. Uh, I wish I had time to tell you the harrowing landing there. I've never been in the military or flown like that. They corkscrewed the plane down, hit the tarmac like that. I about jumped out of a uh, skin there was a uh, two-liter soda, soda bottle next to me, and it completely collapsed with the pressure so quickly. And they had warned us, don't. But they said if you hear any noises, they kept they kept the cockpit door open. You know, just very relaxed. Two guys came out and talked, nonchalant. So this small plane, C-20. They said uh, when you if you hear something out of the cockpit, it's just recording. Don't let it worry. Don't let it bother you. And so about the time we started to corkscrew down, I mean we got down to land that thing and the inside recording said, Pull up, pull up, pull up, we were gonna cast, and all of a sudden we landed. <laughs> I staggered off of the, the 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 guy next to me vomited all over the pivot. <clears throat> I've never had such an experience in my life, I hope to never again. And I thought, we get to fly out of here that same way, also. They they corkscrew down to get into protected airspace to keep them getting shot down. And so that's why they do it that way. I've never been in such an experience there. They, they landed that way. And uh, But anyway, we went to Baghdad. Um, there were believers there, even under Saddam Hussein, when it was against the law. Uh, many of them got arrested. I've seen the apartment where 57 of them were, 58 of them were meeting in an apartment. Uh, against the law and Saddam Hussein had the secret police uh, sitting in services they did not realize and reporting what was going on and finally arrested all of them Um, people were in prison some women women for about a year men for 10 years The man who's now today the pastor of that church was in that group. He was a college student, 19 years old. He was in prison for a year. He's now the pastor of the New Testament Baptist Church in Baghdad, Iraq. He's a wonderful guy. I wish I could have you meet him, a guy that loves the Lord. And amazingly, (coughs) uh, Maher Duad Faud is his name. Uh, He grew up in a Christian home. (coughs) It's unbelievable in Iraq. His dad and mother became believers many years prior to Saddam Hussein, and they operated a uh, Bible bookstore, of all things, in Iraq. So this was not a novice. Uh, He was uh, by training. He graduated from the University of Baghdad. He was an engineer. I asked him one day, "Do you ever think there would be a Baptist church? As far as we know, we started the first ever Baptist church in Iraq, as far as we know. Uh, he said I said, You ever think there'd be a Baptist church in Baghdad, Iraq, you'd be the pastor? And he said, No, I never did. But he said when the US military crossed the Kuwaiti border, he said for the first he's he's in his forties at this point, first time in my life I had hope. That's what your people you send out here providing hope the military provided freedom the gospel came to provide hope and he has a bible institute they have a christian radio station get this the only one allowed because he got in when the u.s military was under control Uh, they preach the gospel they have a station in baghdad they have a christian radio station in basra they have one they're trying to start in mosul It is unbelievable, and people call in, Muslims get saved. It is phenomenal. And so that was my experience to go in there. But let me say this. When I was in Baghdad, and I've heard it since, uh, a lady came up to me and said, you know, when you get back to the United States, would you give us, would you give them a message? And I said, I will, and I take this very seriously. So I may have done it here before, but I'm going to do it again. They said, when you get back to the United States, the churches that prayed for us... the churches that paid your way to come, when you get back to the United States, give them this message. I said, I will, so I am. She said, tell them, thank you. Thank you for caring. And thank you for giving. And thank you for sharing the gospel with us. And so that's what this missionary conference is about, is making a difference in the world. Let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to talk today about this called faith promise. Uh, missionary giving, it's based upon principles, of course, are given in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And underlying these principles is always the teaching of grace. Um, it's called grace giving many times. Uh, grace is mentioned many times in these chapters. If you look in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, do we do you to wit of the grace of God. Notice verse six. It says, Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish you the same grace. Also, verse nine, If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Go down to verse nineteen, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. And then uh, we see all these mentions. And then go to chapter 9 and verse uh, uh, 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace. Notice a number of times the word grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good Work and then notice verse 14 in chapter 9 and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. So, this is a because of the grace of God that we have experienced. This is why we give back to God in grace, and He shows us examples of that. And that's based very simply it's grace giving by faith. Uh, we trust Christ for salvation, He gives us salvation. He extends His grace to us. He gives us what we don't deserve. And in mercy, He gives us not what we do deserve. And we give out of a heart that's motivated and moved by the grace of God. And we're told the Macedonian Christians gave liberty, as we noticed back in chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia how that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality now the scenario will lay the scene here the uh, macedonians were divided in north and south and macedonia was a certain segment of uh, of that uh, area uh, greece and so we see that Uh, the church at Jerusalem now, the New Testament apostles have gone out, the gospel's gone out, people have been reached with the gospel. Church back in Jerusalem was suffering. They needed help. They needed encouragement. uh, And so the apostle Paul lays out this plan uh, to give help and aid and financial support of ministries and churches outside Jerome. Uh, This was not done before. They basically took care of themselves. That was it. But he began to talk to them about expanding your vision, expanding your view, your world, and see this world as I see it. And he said, we need to uh, give and to help people beyond us uh, in a financial way. And he basically gave them a year to do so. And so typically under faith promise, you have a conference or you have uh, teaching on it. Once a year, and so you make a commitment for this year only. It's a year at a time, and however God leads each year to year, you make this commitment to God. It's not for the pastor. It's not for us locally. It's not for the church locally. Uh, No one knows a name. You don't put a name on anything, uh, but you're saying by the grace of God that I've been given, I'm going to give out and beyond that. And so it says here that those who practically... Uh, had nothing, uh, they, but Jesus, they gave to, f- this, to this offering. And Jesus, who had everything, he gave by the same standard. I think that's significant. They're asking you to do by grace what Jesus said he did by grace when he left heaven and came down to this earth. It's all by the same standard. It's by the grace standard. And in, in this respect, faith, promise, missionary giving differs from the tithe. The tithe is 10% of our income. It was instituted in the Old Testament. But Jesus said in Matthew 23, when he spoke to Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you've tithed of your uh, seeds, uh, anise and cumin and all of that. And he said, "You," uh, but you said, you've left uh, the un- other things undone. Uh, he said, you, you have given, but you've, you've held out. So he said, but these things you ought to have done. In other words, he, ent- he re iterated the need that you ought to have given the 10%. Uh, but he said you need to also develop another heart attitude and really not just by uh, trying to do this without any heart behind it. And so it's a faith promise given as God lays something on your heart and it's up to between you and God. I'll give you an example of that when I was five years old and I can still see myself standing in our living room and see my dad there, and we were getting ready to go to church, and he gave me a nickel, and he said, son, I want you to put this in the offering today. It came from him. It did not come from me. Well, because I was not saved yet, my sinful, wicked heart got greedy, and you'd have to forgive me. I was lost. I wasn't under grace, and so as I sat there, and the offering plate was passed, I could not pull that nickel out of my pocket and put it in the plate. I mean, I just... Greed got the best of me, and you've got to realize I'm old enough, you know, that you get a soda for a nickel, you could buy several things for a nickel. It's a big deal, you know I mean? It's a lot of money for a five-year-old, and and I did not give it. Well, isn't this amazing how parents are almost like God sometimes? They know certain <laughs> things are going <laughs> to... <coughs> and uh, so... I was a skull flaw. you know, I just violated my parents' rule and the law. And so that afternoon, my dad said to me, Son, did you put your, I don't know why he asked me, I think he already knew, but he said, Son, did you put your nickel into the offering plate? And I can still see it today. And I dropped my head. And I said, No, I didn't. And my dad said to me, son, that was given to you to put in the offering plate. So he said, we're going to go back to church tonight. And he said, I want you to put your nickel in the offering plate. And he said, don't ever do that again. I can say from all these years, I never did it again. What's God is God's. Your tithe belongs to God. And in that childlike way, I had to learn a lesson. That was not mine to keep. That was mine to give. And so I've never forgotten that lesson, and I think about it from time to time. You see, faith, promised giving goes beyond the tithe just as grace goes beyond the law. It goes beyond that and we uh give a gift over and above a tithe the tithe belongs to the local church it finances the ministry of the local church and god says now i want you to look beyond and the apostle paul's teaching this here let's go beyond as he wrote the corinthians to go beyond our church body to our place and to see people beyond us that also we could help uh, come to know christ as their savior and we determined how large a gift we give, but we're to be guided in our under- giving by an understanding of grace. And so I want to speak to you about grace as it relates to missionary giving, faith-promised missionary giving. And for this message, then, I want to draw four giving principles from these two chapters that are true of this type of grace giving. Number one, it is personalized giving. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Saint Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, we could say every woman, every person, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. He's speaking of this offering that they're going to send out to other people away from them. They're going to take up a special offering. They already people tithe to their local body. They're going to take up this special offering over and above a tithe, and they're going to send that out to this other place back in Jerusalem where there are Christians there and believers there that needed help and they needed training and so forth as we think about that. So it is pretty said every person, every man, according as he purposes, where in his heart. So let him give. It's not something demanded. It's not something you have to do. If you don't, God doesn't impress you to do it. Then that's between you and God. Uh, It's something that we do out of a heart because we've been recipients of grace. We who are recipients of grace ought to be gracious, and that applies to all hours of our life and this area of giving to others in need, spiritual need around the world. And so, first, it's personalized giving. It's an individual, personal decision between you and God. You search your own heart, then you get together with the Lord, and you say, Lord, what would you have me to give above a tithe uh, to missions outside of my local church? And if God confirms that amount, if God lays the amount on your heart, then you make it what we call a faith uh, promise commitment to give that amount. And each of us then must seek the lord's blessing in that area and determine what he wants us to give that's why it's important that you receive that devotional and that you have received or you're receiving a card so it's not something done haphazardly it's something that's done on purpose with thought and plan and prayer and so the poverty stricken macedonians he said they had next to nothing to give and so paul used the macedonians as an illustration to Um, the Corinthians of what you ought to do. It'd be like God saying to the church here in uh, Massillon, I'm going to use an example of a church in Cleveland, what they did to try to encourage you to do the same pattern, to follow the same thing. So he did use that comparison of what others were doing, and he said this is what they were doing. And so they gave according to their own ability, uh, he said. Notice here in... uh, verse 8 again, or verse 7, every man according to he purpose, let you have not grudging of necessity, then God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you'll have all sufficiency, and all things may abound to every good work. And then notice back in chapter 8, verse 2 again, we're going to kind of go back and forth, he said, how that in great affliction, he said, the Macedonians, as he writes to the Corinthians, in the great, Affliction and uh, the abundance of their, in the midst of all that, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty, abounding to the riches of their liberality, for to their power, for their ability and beyond their ability, for their power, I bear a record, yea, and beyond their power, they're willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty, we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This church was poverty stricken, the Macedonians were, the Corinthians were much better off. And he said, Listen, they were able to give and they gave to their ability and beyond their ability. And he said, They, they kept asking me, Please, Paul, let us give to this. They were begging Paul to give to this. It wasn't something coerced, it wasn't something forced. And he said, they did that. Now, I'm using them as an example. I'm telling you, Corinthians, you ought to follow their example to emulate that. And so they had given their own ability, beyond their ability, freely, willingly, and their faith offering was proportionate. It was sacrificial, and it was voluntarily given. And the Lord had blessed them with everything, but he had made himself poor. Notice in chapter 8, verse 9 again, he re- re- refers to the Lord Jesus... And he uses him as an example. And he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. What an example. He, he took Christ as the example, uh, who possessed everything. Christ who owned everything, owner possession of everything, sovereign over everything. Yet he gave uh, himself... He gave us. He was directed. He said, follow that example and follow these examples that have been given to you by grace. And God accepts our gift based upon what He knows we can give. First off, it's personalized giving. I want to make sure you get it here. What's the first one? It's what? Personalized giving. Secondly, in this passage, notice in Second Corinthians 9, 7, it is purposeful giving. Again, in chapter 9, verse 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Every man, as he purposeth in his heart. Now, we, make, we pray, we make up our minds what God would have us to give, and then we purpose to give that each week. And the year progresses. We may have to adjust our spending in order to perform uh, what we've committed to do by faith. But faith promise giving is never accidental, it's never incidental, it is done on purpose. You know, sometimes people say, I give accidentally, it just happened. Well, it doesn't much happen that way. Or they say, well, it was incidental. If I have anything left over at the end of the week, then I will give that. No, it's purposeful giving. Personalized giving, purposeful giving, and, and faith promises planned giving, uh, performed consistently over a given period. In your case, it was a year. In this case, it was a year. And Paul took the Corinthians' commitment and gave them a year. Notice back in chapter 8, verse 10. He, chapter 8, 10. He said, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. They had made a commitment back a year before. They hadn't followed through. He said, now therefore, verse 11, perform the doing of your commitment, that as there was a readiness to will back a year ago, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have, and you'll follow through. So he gave them a year to fulfill this. He's just calling on them to do it. Because it is purposeful giving, we make a commitment to give a certain amount each week or month or however you do it for the next year that we might have the means to support our missionaries another year. I want you to notice thirdly, in Second Corinthians 9, verse 8, it is productive giving. Productive giving. Let's go back to the first one. What's the first one? Personalized giving. What's the second one? Purposeful giving. We come to the third one. It is, um, okay, productive giving. <laughs> Thanks, I needed your help there. but if uh, It is productive giving. I'm glad you're with me here. I haven't lost you, but it produces something. Notice in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And this is the promise. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Thirdly, it is productive giving, it is personalized giving, it is purposeful giving, it is productive giving. God is able. Because it produces faith. As I mentioned in Sunday school, I was a college student. I was sitting back in the back uh, of a missions, faith-promised missions conference of a church that uh, was totally involved in this. And I was paying my way through college, and I didn't have much. and And so I remember sitting. They passed out a commitment card. I'd never heard of this before in my life till I was there that week and heard it. And like I mentioned earlier, I wasn't even a member of the church yet. But I sat back there and I bowed my head and I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? I was not a pastor. I was not studying to be a pastor. I was a university student. I didn't know my wife. I didn't have my children. I never knew what God, I didn't know I was ever going to go to any other country. And I, feel, I took that out and I filled that out and I dropped that in the offering plate. And I started giving to missions as about a 19, say 20-year-old person. And I've been giving to Faith Promise Missions all these years. I've pastored two churches. I've taught both of them to do this. Uh, it was phenomenal uh, in Rhode Island where we had uh, almost all new Christians, very heavy Catholic state. I love Catholics. And uh, we had so many people come to know the Lord there. And people got a vision and a burden of something to be totally foreign to them. And we gave hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years to missions and the cost of people around. You know what? Uh, It's not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We're not talking that. But the Lord blessed our people, I think, because they had a heart to give. And a heart as God has. And as God was rich in grace toward us, we want to show that same grace toward others outside of us and around the world. And so it was productive giving. He said God will Will help you grow in faith. Because you have to pray. This comes in. And uh, over and above. Whatever it may be. It's between you and God. You have to pray. It produces faith. And when we begin to look to God. With a fresh eye of faith. Knowing that he is able. I love that. God is able. Uh, to supply all your needs. And God is able to. Uh, provide grace to you. Uh, that you might never experience before. And so it's been my joy all these years, and perhaps you're here and you think, well, that's something for, no, uh, pastors have given all this, we don't expect people to do something we don't do. Uh, it's not for me, it's not for anybody in church, it's outside this church for others, to be like Christ did when he left heaven's glory and left the splendor of heaven and came down to earth and he came for others. I'm always reminded one time of William Booth, who was a founder of the Salvation Army, uh, he'd been uh, part of the Methodist denomination. He had kind of a spunky wife also. And she was really involved in the ministry. And they were having a meeting uh, in conjunction with Methodist brethren about his ministry to all the derelicts and out, uh, people outside uh, what we would think is decent company. And he already had this ministry idea of Salvation Army. And, and they told him, you need to stop this. And if you don't. Uh, then we're going to defrock you from the Methodist denomination. And his wife heard this. She was sitting up on the balcony. And it paused for a second. She leaned over the balcony. And she said, uh, She said, It's for others, William Booth. Say no to them. Say no to them, William. Which for others we're after. And all of his life, and then old William Booth always had that motto, Others, and that song we sang, Others, Lord. Yes, others, let this my motto be. Yes, it's others. That's what Jesus had. We have a burden and a compassion and a desire for this work, of course, and that's why we tithe. But we have a burden to go beyond that, to have a concern about other people. Uh, and it's a superabundant riches become our source of supply. It provides all our needs. And he said, having all sufficiency, we are provided for. Now, we don't give to get, yet we do get because we've given. And we don't give because we want to receive. We give because we've already received. (laughs) It's not... What the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, it's not a gimmick. It's not that type of thing. We're not talking about you becoming wealthy. No, it's sacrificial giving like Christ made for others. And that's what Paul was trying to teach, to get into the mind of the early churches, and the Corinthian church especially, because they were carnal to start with and had all kinds of problems. They didn't get beyond themselves. He said to them, I'm going to use an example of a church that's in great affliction, is under great duress and great problems, but yet they beg me to be involved in this because God was rich in grace to them. You need to emulate their example and do the same pattern in your church. <clears throat> and then in Second Corinthians 9, verse 9, he gives an illustration. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9. He says, and here's an illustration, a farming illustration. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being rich in everything to all bountifulness. He uses a farming illustration. The illustration gives us an idea of faith-giving and how it works. God provides the farmer with seed that he then places in the ground. He gives it away. The seed sprouts. It grows. It reaches maturity. The farmer then harvests the grain, which in turn provides him with more seed and bread for his family. And so what he gave came back. Because it provided now enough for him, but also many others as well. Now let me ask you a question: Do you know how many stalks of corn, or how many ears a stalk of corn has? Typically, two to four. You know how many kernels are on a ear of corn? Anywhere from five hundred to twelve hundred average of 800, if there's two to four ears on a stalk of corn, if you had two, that'd be 1,600 kernels. If you had four, it'd be (laughs) 3,200 kernels. I think you're getting the idea here, folks. This is quite an investment that we should not pass on and throw away. He said, yes, that that farmer grows that. Now he has food for himself, but he has plenty of others to sell and do other things with. He said, this is the principle of this idea of, of faith, promise, giving. He has to give it, separate himself from it, turn loose from it. And it looks like he's throwing it away. But when springtime comes and the harvest comes, up comes this crop, which will provide food for him for the rest of the year, and now multiple times over and above and away from that. He said, We need to learn to be generous. We need to be people of heart, people looking beyond ourselves, and it causes us to get away from self centeredness and selfishness. And he said, That's why it needs to be done. An idea of then, he gives an example of a church, but most important, he gives an example of Jesus Christ himself, who exhibits his grace-giving, if you will, by coming down to this earth and giving that example of what we ought to do. And he said, this is what will happen. So the first one is what kind of giving? Let's say it again. First one's what? Second one? Perfectful. Third one. what? Productive. It produces something. I want you to notice nextly in Second Corinthians 9, 11. Being, I didn't read the last part of it, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causes through us thanksgiving to God. You know what happens in verse 11? It's praise-inspiring giving. It produces praise around the world. The people who receive this are going to praise God that you gave you imagine you can call people missionaries you can call the people in foreign countries to praise God for you it's praise inspiring giving we praise God for what he and grace has given us uh, and then they praise God and two good things will result from this minister giving the needs of others will be met and they will joyfully express their gratitude to us missionaries will be provided for. Other people will come to know Christ as their Savior. Uh, they'll be able to continue the mission field. The work of God will get done, and while crops are growing here, if you will, seeds being planted here, and people come up and get saved, you're in conjunction and connection with people all the world with the same thing happened, and one day, why don't you get to glory, and we'll see all of them again. You have a part of that. You wouldn't want to miss that. At all now you're looking I had four older brothers I was youngest brother and they said I was a tight wad from youth they said I had every nickel I've ever made that's why I kept that nickel my dad gave me uh, I call it being frugal my wife says I'm a tight wad uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and so it was always kind of hard for me you know to do this you know and I thought boy, if I can get loose like this uh, anybody can get loose like this Uh, And I found out that God was pleased, that my heart was expanded, my selfishness was uh, shut down, it allows others. And when you, the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And sometimes we say that backwards. Backwards. But your heart follows your treasure. Not the other way around. We tend to reverse it. Where your treasure is. There your heart But we could reverse it and say where your heart is. That's where you put your treasure. And so let God put a burden on your heart. I've was a college student, walked into, after I surrendered to preach, I switched where I was studying, went to a Bible college, and I walked in, and I, the first time I was ever there, very large church also, and I'd never been in this town, I was, it was like 120 miles from where I grew up, and I looked up in the choir, and I saw a blonde sitting in the choir, And I leaned over to the guys, first time ever. I leaned over to the guys that were sitting next to me, some college students. I wasn't even a member of church. I mean, I just went there the first time. I said, Do you see the blonde sitting in the choir? They said, Yes. I said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> they laughed. I <laughs> said, Sure, you are, Strickland. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you where my heart was. It didn't take long to turn loose of everything I had. <laughs> you imagine how much she's cost me in 50 years? <laughs> <50. laughs> We've been married 54 years, you imagine? <laughs> Shoes, makeup, hairspray, plus. <sighs> I didn't have any money, I was about to starve to death. I was working that I would save, she didn't know it, but literally many weeks I went very hungry. But no sacrifice, I never told her. I'd go without meals so I could save enough. We went somewhere to pay for it. Well, to show you I was driven was on a mission. <laughs> I didn't know her. We had a very, it was a church around about 2,000 uh, or more, and they did have a large college-age group, and so there was a pre-service before Sunday night. And the college students go to that. But by the way, to show you how spiritual I was as a young man, I never went to another church. I joined that one. I knew that's exactly where it got you going to go. And to show you further how spiritual I was, I joined the choir. <laughs> I was just, I'm serious here. <clears throat> so I'm singing in the choir, going to church on Sunday night, going to pre service, trying to figure out how I can meet her. I knew i met another girl who knew her, and I kind of poked around, got her name. We kind of saw each other in the pre uh, service Sunday night, and so finally, I probably wouldn't do it today, but. I got her phone number, and I called her, and, but I got her phone number from the secretary of the church. <laughs> Thank God for secretaries of churches. I mean, but I <laughs> got... <this. clears throat> and I called her, and I said, uh, could we set at the service, pre-service next Sunday night the uh, service? She said, well, let me ask my parents. She said, a lot of times on Sunday afternoon, we go visit my va- grandparents. We're not always back for the pre-service, but she asked, me. I said, yes, they'd get back in time. So I sat with her in the pre-service. I sang in the choir, and for the evening service, she sang in the choir. Uh, went and sat by her parents after the service. Four months later, we were engaged, and three months later, we've been married. Been married now fifty-four years—not bad huh? after all that time. <laughs> <didn't> I? <clears throat> uh, I was on a mission. My heart was someplace. And I was willing to make sacrifices and do anything I could for that. Now I've cost her much more aggravation and problems over the next 54 <laughs> years. Uh, it, won't, it won't equal out, I can tell you that, for, the, uh, for these uh, 54 years. It's praise-inspiring giving. And those who are over there Notice what it said in verse 12 of chapter 9. For the administration of this service not only supplyeth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. He said there's going to be people around the world that are going to say, thank God. And as I said when I started, I've heard it so many times in countries I go to. They said, when you get back, tell them thank you. And how many times I've been told in foreign countries that they pray for us in this country. They know some the problems we're facing and how things are deteriorating here and they need us they need people here to be strong christians be an encouragement to them as they serve the lord and though it'll help people carry out effective ministry and then notice verse 13 while by this experience experiment of this ministration they the people receive this they glorify god for your professed subjection of the gospel of christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. Yes, those who are one to Christ and Christians come. They praise God. So it's praise inspiring giving. What's the first one? Personalized. Second one? Purposeful. The third one what? Productive. What's the last one? Praise inspiring. Giving. Are people are going to praise God. What you do? Their giving showed the proof of their faith And it encouraged the Jewish people who were suffering back in Jerusalem. This was the beginning of a pattern to continue this all over the world. And notice verse 14. I love this one. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. You know what they do? They pray for you. Wow. Wow. What an opportunity to be involved in this. G. Oswald Sanders says, Results of missions are always to be left to the Lord. The responsibility of missions rests with our faithfulness before God. Give the Lord an opportunity to make a difference in your missionary giving. Pray about it. Think it through. Ask God what he'd have you to do, no matter the amount what he'd have you to do, and determine that amount and give it with joy as you put grace to work in reaching the multitudes for Christ through your faith, promise, giving. And there'll come a day, there'll come a day when people will come up to you and whom you've never met and they'll thank you. And you'll say, I don't even know you. And then perhaps your mind will run back when you gave the Faith Promise Missions. I wish I had time in my mind and immediately starts running to the pastors and people I know in Middle Eastern countries where I've been met at the airport. And, and the thankfulness. And when I go, I tell them, I'm not here because I'm such a wonderful person so I had to come here. I'm here because I represent Christ and I represent First Baptist Church of Jackson and other churches. And I tell them, they pay my way. They paid my way. These churches did. For me to be able to come here and tell you that God loves you. God cares about you. When I leave, I'll usually have a, several men will meet me at the airport, and they'll grab my luggage. And, and when I get ready to leave, several will go back. These are national pastors, and they'll go back and say, "You're coming back, aren't you?" And I always say, by the grace of God, I am. They can't be here today. I wish I could bring some of them. This church supports Ayud David. He's a pastor in Pakistan. I'd like for him to be able to come sometime. Pakistan is one of the most phenomenal ministries I've ever been in. Bangladesh. People set out with no building. They set out in the open air. It's hot. They sit on the ground. They come early and they sing and sing. And I, I preach every day somewhere. And they'd run me to a church somewhere in a village. And I'd hear them out there singing while I was meeting with some of the national pastors. And then they run me out there and they'd sing some more. I have nothing. People say, why do you do this? Why do you go there? You'd go there too. If you saw what I see. I take seriously. I'm not here for me. I'm a representative of them. To challenge you. To encourage you. To be a part of a wonderful blessing. And today this Pastor I David this church supports. He's having health problems. His wife died when they were in their thirties. Has five or six children, he raised them all. Never been married again. He has a son who was studying to be a medical doctor when I was there and he was my interpreter. He's sharp. He's very good in English and it's because his dad started having health problems. His son now took over all this ministry throughout all the country of Pakistan. They ride a little motorcycle around. It is unbelievable. Even your support of him, what's happening in Pakistan. And I said i made a faith promise. and It's a commitment. That's the expression of the purpose of your heart. One time in Decatur, Illinois, I was there for a conference the next day. I was sitting in a motel room. My wife was with me. And uh, they had a placard laying on the uh, desk there. And it was a placard about saving water. You've probably seen them in hotels. And the placard said this, by saving water, you can make a difference. You can make a difference in the world. And I sat at a little desk in Decatur, Illinois, and I thought I can tell you something better than that. I said, one person can make a difference. I've got one better than that. One person can make a difference in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can they not? More than the planet, more than the water, more than all these other things, you can make a difference. One day, I was in. Interior of sedan is it December. It's always hot, steaming hot. Metal buildings. We slept out with camels and goats, and we slept out under the ska- stars because there's no place else to stay. And we got in a vehicle and rode to the interior of the Sedan, Had a driver, a little four-wheel drive vehicle, and we drove across pastures. Literally no fences. It literally pastures, just jumping and bouncing. Till I didn't know where we were going, and it. They couldn't drive more than five miles an hour, probably. And we'd run through villages, and they'd come running out. Someone said, you're the first white person uh, we've seen, this younger people have ever seen here. And they'd have schools out there meeting under trees, and the guy would say, go ahead and tell them something. So I'd get out in the middle, they'd surround us, and I'd start talking to them about the gospel. And it was hot, and I was away from home, and I thought of something hit me, my mind ran in a flashback. It's the setting in my farmhouse. My mother, who did not have a driver's license, never knew how to drive. She had five sons. We had a driver, and my dad did. But she had a heart for God. She'd listen to radio preachers. Our church didn't really support missionaries we went to, but I saw myself reading a periodical as a 16-year-old back home while I'm sitting in the interior of Sudan. And the periodical was Sudan, Interior, mission and i thought my mother's been dead all these years little did she know and she sent money to them little did she know that while she's in heaven one day her youngest son will be preaching the gospel in the interior of Sudan. i want to tell you her giving it came back did it not to her She didn't live to see it, but she knows about it in glory. What little she had. She gave money to Sudan Interior Mission. Who would ever thought I'd be there to preach the gospel? I will tell you one day what you do will come back to bring glory to God and reverberate throughout history and time. And so we need to be a part of the plan that God has allowed us to be in to give. And one day others will praise God and thank God for us and what we've done.
0: Please bow your heads.